Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Juan Moreno. Juan is a former Amazon engineer turned startup founder that's using Swift to build his app, Aroma. Welcome to the show, Juan. Hey, Garrick. Thanks for the lofty introduction, and hello to all Swift developers. All right. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. So before we begin, I want to be, uh, do a big thank you to all the Learn Swift LA and Swift Coder LA members out there. We just met last uh, or a couple days ago or last week um, at Thrive Market, and it was super amazing. Uh, Yariv was there. He taught us about um, delegation and its notification center and closures. And man, just the energy was really awesome. I left that meetup feeling super energized, which made me want to do a big shout out and thank you to everybody on the podcast today. So yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Juan, you were there. So thank you so much for being there. I was there. Definitely. I really enjoyed that one. Right on. So Juan, uh, what are you up to right now? Well, I am actually working on a project that is in Swift and um, it's called Aroma. Cool. Want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so Aroma, if you think about it like Inbox, if you've ever used Google's Inbox service, well, rather than emailing people or con communicating with other people, you're actually interacting with your live software. So things that you have in the field, like apps or a backend service, just a piece of software that you want to keep in touch with. Interesting. So rather than communicating with people, you're communicating with software? Yeah, yeah, because traditionally the way that we kind of like talk to our services is we we tail a log or we look at the logs just to see if it's working or if it's alive so aroma aims to give software a voice so that you can talk to it interesting okay well since it's in swift we might get into that a little bit Absolutely. later before we do i want to learn a little bit about you you know where you came from uh, and how you got to where you are so have you been um, coding for a really long time or did you just get into this recently well i've i uh i have a computer science background so i've been coding now for six seven years and it really scares me when i think about that that i've really been doing it for that long because <laughs> man where did you really get your where did you get your computer science degree i studied at the city university of new york and um, yeah you're and a new yorker i'm a new yorker i'm from the bronx i'm Ooh, not gonna hide it all right <laughs> that's right so tell us a little bit about that. Uh, was it? It was like a university, like a like a normal B, like a BS degree or, or a CS degree, right? Like a four year institution type of a thing. Yeah, I mean, specifically, City University of New York is a system of colleges and universities throughout the boroughs. Oh, like SUNY or CUNY? Yes, exactly. And What's it I went CUNY. Perfect. CUNY. Exactly. Exactly. And I went to Lehman College, which in my opinion, is kind of like a jewel of the Bronx that's hidden. And, cool. you know, I'm very grateful for the computer science department that was there. Why did you do computer science? Well, I mean, when I was going to college, I'm the kind of person that I, I like to learn many different things. 
So I, I, I wanted to actually do triple major, believe wow. it or not. Um, but I chose computer science because I, I just, I don't know, I, it just touched me when I wrote code. It's just like something that's so creative, something that's Preaching to the choir, man. preaching to the choir. So wait, how did you get into coding then? Uh, you, you went to uh, this you know, university for CS, but how did you pick programming? How did you actually, were you already programming? Like, when did you first start writing code? Well, I, I started writing code in my programming 101, basically. It wasn't 101, but you get the gist Was of that it. like high school? That was, no, that was, that was my sophomore year of college. Oh, okay. Yes. So, but how did you decide to do... Okay, so then you, you went to, to the university, and you were studying a bunch of different stuff, and then at some point in the university, you took a computer programming course, and you were like, wow, this is awesome. I, I want to do this. Yeah, I took that class, and first, the professor that I had, his style was just like sink or swim. He didn't hold your hand. He gave us some exercises, and you, you had to figure it out, which, I mean, I really appreciate that approach because that's what you are as a programmer, as a coder. You solve problems, and a lot of times, you're not going to have someone there to hold your hand. So that served me really well. So that was your introduction to that was my was introduction your, was it's, your computer 101 course. So you weren't programming before that. I wasn't programming before that, but I've always had an interest in computers since I was a little boy. Okay, but it never occurred to you like back then before that course that maybe you could be a programmer or should be a programmer or wanted to be. Yeah, I I didn't even know really what programming was. Right. So Okay, so then take us to Computer Science 101 at your university. What, what was it called again? The uh, Liberty? Oh, Lehman College. Lehman. Okay, at Lehman. You're sitting in the course the first day. Uh, were you... Were you The like, first expect- day. I remember the first day. The professor gets up on the board and he writes in Java, because this is the language that the department chose. And he writes basically the public static void main function, which is just like the, the entry, you know, that hello world thing that everyone does. Okay. And I don't just, know Java, but okay. Okay, yeah. And he just says, read this. Um, and that's all good. But then he goes and he does some things. He's like, int x equals um, one. And then at the next line, he's like, x is equal to three. And that just throws me off. It throws everyone off because, you know, we've studied math and we're thinking in terms of equations. So you're like, how can X equal two at the same time that it can be five? Like what? That doesn't, that, that, that can't happen. So he just threw us, he just threw that out there just to get it through our heads that this isn't like math where you're solving an equation. Okay, cool. So do you remember leaving that first class thinking, like being changed or did it was it sort of like a gradual change by the end of that course you realize this is something you really wanted to do i think that uh well the funny thing about that class and like i said it was very sink or swim and you noticed it that you either really got it or you, it, it just kicked you i mean it was very much like that um and for me after i wrapped my head around the the this isn't math exactly then it just sort of clicked inside okay all right so fast forward then you graduate and you end up getting a job 
working at Amazon. Was that your first coding job or did you have a coding job before that, before Amazon? Well, um, actually, while I was in school, I was blessed with an internship opportunity at IBM. And I was actually an intern for three years while I was going to school. So that gave me a lot of a big kind of a big head start there. Awesome. Actually mm-hmm. reached out to somebody at IBM to see if we can get a Swift um, IBM developer at oh, one of our meetups. So it. if you have any contacts at uh, IBM, we should uh, we should get that going because we should cool. we should definitely. You know, there's I mean, all that, that Swift IBM stuff happening. Interesting, Very right? Interesting. I mean, have you t- they just released this? Um, I mean, it's been going on for a while, but there was some recent news about you know Swift in the cloud, and, and I think it's called Kitura. It's like a web framework or something or, c- or a server side framework. Uh, with Swift in the cloud. Yeah, there's a lot of very exciting things happening around Swift right now. I mean, this is like the gates are being opened. Totally. So, okay, you have this internship at IBM, you graduate, and then you go straight to Amazon, or how did you end up at Amazon? Well, Amazon, um, well, to, to give some context, I was working in Maryland at a defense contracting company, and it was right around the time where there was a sequester. And now a sequester is basically um, a period of time where the government is cutting back spending on government projects, defense contracts, so on and so forth. So there was a point where I, I would see my teammate or my, you know, my, a guy a couple cubes away, he would just get walked out. And I was like, man, I could be the next one. So I kind of just... I decided I would interview at places and Amazon reached out to me and said, hey, we want to interview you. We'll skip the phone interview. We're in town. Just come and we'll have a we'll have a nice chat. You know, so I ended up there and um, I interviewed. It was a very intense interview, about five to six hours long. I had never done one that that, you know, intense. I was not expecting an offer, but to my surprise, I did. And. Well, that's how I ended up in California, actually. Oh, cool. So the office, the Amazon office is in California, or was? They they gave me a choice to go between sunny Orange County and Seattle, of course, headquarters. And I'm like, is that really a choice, you know? <laughs> you get rain all day here, and you get nice sunshine here. Nice. I don't know. So that's how I ended up here. So what did you get hired for? What was your title? What was your role? I was a software development engineer, which is uh, it's shorthand. They call them SDEs, and it's the same term used at Microsoft and a couple of other big tech companies. So, were you working on any projects in particular? Yeah. So, my the department that I was there, uh, that I was working on while I was there, was the App Store department, and basically, we were our effort was around the Kindle, the App Store, and just a bunch of apps. So if you think about the infrastructure that, let's say, Apple needs just to manage all these apps and deliver them to all these millions of devices, that's the kind of thing that surrounded me while I was there. Okay, so you were working on Amazon's distribution store, uh, distribution software for the Kindle platform. Yeah, that was the, the... the organization that I was under. Cool. How long were you there for? I was there for about a year. Awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you like it? What did you like? What didn't you like? Why'd you stay? Why'd you leave? 
I learned a lot while I was there. I learned a lot of things that I had no idea previously how they work, how the internet works, how how can a site like Amazon be up and stay up and how do they update the thing without <laughs> any downtime? Just all these things that I, I learned, oh, that's how it works there, which definitely very valuable. Awesome. So when did you... Because uh, you, you're not working there anymore. When did you uh, stop working there? Well, that actually makes a nice segue into my journey into Swift because that's I left Amazon because I got an opportunity to partner up with some some guys and and work on a new idea. So I jumped out of Amazon and into that. Cool. Wait. So what what language were you using at Amazon though? We we uh we're mostly a Java shop at Amazon. Oh, cool. And then like, do they have all their own technologies and frameworks and all that kind of an IDE or how how does that work? Oh yeah, Amazon, okay. and you'll find that uh, a lot of the tech companies, the big ones, they have like a build it ourselves mentality. Okay, right, cool. Okay, so you're at Amazon, you're um, helping to build their distribution software, you know, or their software distribution platform. Uh, you're using Java mostly, uh, and then you. It sounds like you met some people, and you decided maybe we could go out on our own and start our own business. Is that sort of kind of what happened? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, maybe other developers feel that way, but I'll speak for myself and say that uh, there's a there's a lot of things that we like to do to be creative. And this, I felt, was an opportunity to do something that was more challenging and more interesting um, for me as an engineer. So, right. What was more interesting about it? it? It was the fact that I could create this, this idea from scratch. First of all, everyone loves doing things from scratch. Right. And the fact that I, 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 I got to architect it, I got to just go nuts with the thinking about these things here. How do, how do we scale this? You know, what technologies are we going to use? It was like a playground, right. and, but all under the let's make this thing real umbrella. So it wasn't like a, just a little side gig or project. It was, you know, we have this vision for this this app, basically. I mean, we had a designer. He already had all the mock-ups and things. And it was just a matter for me to just go figure out how to code it and make it real. So so are we talking about Aroma now or is this Scope Out? This was Scope Out. So what was Scope Out? Well, Scope Out evolved a lot. But if I could tell you today what it was, it, it the idea was... Well, if you if you want to see what's happening at some part of the world or some part of your neighborhood, let's say you want to go to a bar and you want to know what what the lines are like, or you wanna you just want to see the the Chicago Bean, you know that seamless bean that's there that's famous. So it's an art, art installation, right? Yeah, that that sculpture. thing, that silver okay. thing. I don't even know what it's called. I should I be ashamed of myself. <laughs> uh, okay, no, so, so you. you so you open up scope out and you just you create a scope out and you say, Hey, I wanna I wanna see what this looks like right now. Can you send me an image? And it's anonymous. And anyone that's in the vicinity could just post pictures to you and you could just talk about it. That's cool. It's like your own private investigator. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you wanna request an image somewhere about something 
and then someone else could reply with the image. It's all anonymous. Okay. So that was the idea. So did you guys start building that in Swift? Well, so the 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 the, the way that it worked, it, it it happened so so wonderfully. So first we started out with Android because Android uses Java, and that's what I was comfortable with. Right. Uh, and then right around that time was when Swift was announced to everyone's shock. And uh, we decided that, uh, hey, let's do the iPhone version. Nice. Because it it's sort of familiar, Java and Swift. I mean, maybe it's a little more familiar than Objective-C. Or what was, why why Swift at that point? Why can you now <laughs> do an iOS app just because Swift was out? Well, I mean, you know, absolutely. Swift just came out and... You know, in a business, you got to analyze things. You got to say, all right, we got this new fancy thing here, or we could go with the old tried and true. You got all the Stack Overflow knowledge about it. Which one are we going to do? And I actually, at first, I'm like, all right, maybe Objective-C, but I tried it for about a day before I'm just like, nah, this is not going to work. I need to go to Swift. So I just dove into Swift at that point. Okay, so you started learning Swift right around the time it, it came out in June 2014. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. So when it was announced, it sounds like you, did you think about it for a little while or did you sort of immediately jump on, I mean, I jumped on the bandwagon or did you kind of <laughs> do some analysis for your business or for you personally or what was going through your mind when, when it was first announced? I was well, completely shocked. I was yeah. like, I, yes. I don't think anyone saw it. Coming. Yes, I agree. I mean, at the same time, it's kind of like Objective-C is such a dinosaur and it's such um, it has so many bolt-ons that uh, it was a matter of time. But it still surprised me that Apple would do something like that, you know. Um, so I, I pretty much jumped on immediately. I didn't really give it that much thought. The, the only thing that... Uh, was a bit of a challenge was the fact that there were no tutorials because I was learning not just Swift as a language, but I needed to learn iOS development. So it's kind of like you're driving, you're learning how to drive at the same time that you're learning all the rules and all the, right. At the, and you're driving a manual car. So right. it's, you know, it's a lot going on for one time. So did you make the decision to learn Swift for yourself and for the business or was it more about using it for scope out or? Well, I mean, keep in mind, I was the only developer, so oh, there's, okay. no, there's no difference, you know. I, okay. I made the decision to use Swift. That's cool. Yeah, I like that idea of being not necessarily an independent person on a team. Maybe you're one developer or you're a couple developers, but that you have that ownership over those decisions, what technologies we're going to use, what frameworks we're going to use. I love that. That's I think sort of that, 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 that that is such an amazing thing, and that's creativity. Yeah, totally. Okay, so you uh, Swift was announced. You made the decision, like this is awesome. I like I like what I see. Uh, you decided to start learning it. So, uh, but as you said, there wasn't a lot out there. So, how did you start learning it? How did you go about doing that? Well, so I uh, I did some research, and I actually I got a recommendation from a principal iOS developer that I I just knew at my daytime job. He said, go to lynda.com, man. They have all these great tutorials. Just check it out. And so I signed up for lynda.com. I watched the iOS development. Um, I think it was still written in Objective-C at the time, but it gave me a good handle to learn how to just do 
iOS development, how to work right. with storyboards, uh, segways, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I looked at some of the lynda.com videos too. I still look at them. Uh, they're more like general, you know, that's not like a whole bunch of um, specific courses. They have maybe, I think they have like maybe 20, 10 to 20 courses on iOS. Uh, they're really good. Um, but if you want some like super specific stuff, like, you know, how to work with a particular framework, they might not have it. But those Linda, that's, Linda is actually what I used when I first got into to iOS, like Interesting. for a, you know, foundation of yes. programming course. Okay, so you checked out the lynda.com course, but that was for iOS specifically. Uh, so did you, you finished the course and, you, you know, you have a better understanding of how iOS development works using Xcode, UIKit, etc. How did you then learn the language, Swift? To be honest, I think that you just learn something by just using it. So in the same vein, I just wrote code and I, I gradually developed the patterns that are used around Swift. Mind you, I read the guide in the book right. completely. Oh, you did? From cover yes, to cover? from cover to cover. Nice. I'm, I'm doing that right now. It's a, it's a very well-written guide, I will say. Yeah. For me, I, I don't think I could have read it a year ago mm -hmm. or when it first came out and really appreciated it. Mm -hmm. uh, now that I have, um, you know, over a year, almost two years of iOS development experience, reading the, the Swift book, it makes sense because I can think about how it would actually apply mm -hmm. what I'm reading. Yes, and um, to, as a tip to anyone learning Swift or programming, anything really. What you just said right now is key because I think that the best way to learn something absolutely is in context and where there's a need to learn. Those yeah, things agree. are great drivers for it. But so. some people are different. You know, they're theoretical. They love, that's how they learn. They, they like reading books in the abstract, the more foundational stuff. But then there's practical learners, people that learn in context, learn uh, by doing. And that's me. Um, okay, so how often are you working with Swift today? You work with it every day, once a week? Um, At this rate, I've, I'm writing Swift code just about every day. Awesome. And so how do you like it uh, based on you know, the other ex experiences you have with other languages, like, for instance, Java? Well, I've, I've worked a lot in, like you said, Java, and Java is what they use in, in, in Android as well. So for comparison, I, I mean, I would say Swift is, is just much better for what, it, for what it's suited for. I mean, it's a, it's a client-side language, and it's very well because it works very well because things like the closures, um, the guards, and even now, the optionals make sense. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, they they make sense because in Java you throw and you catch exceptions, but the the kind of the the swift way is to just send an optional with something doesn't work, and what that is trying to basically put forth for the audience is you don't want to crash the app unless something really serious happens. So. Right. So. With your experience in other languages, what came easy? Like, what was familiar when you were coming from another language? Do you remember, like, what made sense? What was sort of familiar to you? 
Yeah, I mean, Swift is still based in kind of the C style um, syntax. So for the most part, things like the primitives, um, Boolean strings, those things, classes, the, the, the inheritance, a lot of those foundational things to me were, you know, the same. Okay, cool. And then the, anything... The sorry, things that were different... Well, for example, like the, the let this equals that, the var, the fact that you don't have to specify the type when you right. declare things, right. that definitely was a bit something that I, I got used, that I, it took getting used to, that there are no semicolons at the end, you know, so on and so forth. Right. I really like type inference, though, because it's less code I have to write. I, it's I, easier to yes. read. I agree. I think it's a, it's a nice thing. But I can imagine it being sort of... Um, not difficult, but takes some getting used to if you're coming from a language that requires you to declare the type of the property that you're, you know, creating. It could take some getting used to. Yeah, I would say I would say Swift reminds me a little bit of JavaScript in that way. But it's a lot better, of course. So when you found something difficult uh, that you were trying to learn, like for instance, maybe optionals, maybe those were difficult at first. How did you go about, uh, you know, overcoming those challenges of learning something? You're coming from a different language, or uh, how did you go about, you know, overcoming the challenge of learning something new? I mean, personally, I think a lot of trial and error is what got me the, the ability to learn and to build confidence in in the code that I write, and I think that that's in general, how we developers work is the more that we run something, that we compile something, the more confidence we build on it, the more we, we, we understand how it works, the, the context, we have expectations around the code totally. because, because it's been run. Do you use playgrounds at all? You know, I kind of tried to get into playgrounds. I didn't really fully get it. It seemed to me something to do with documentation and things, so I didn't really dive too deeply into it. One thing I just discovered recently with Playgrounds is if you don't um, set the automatic run to manual, it automatically runs. And if you don't have like a super fast computer, you know, it's constantly, every time you make a change, the Playground is going to run your code, compile it and run. So what I've done is set the um, play to, uh, you know, run manually. What you do is there's a little arrow next to the play button in Playgrounds. It's a little like drop down arrow. I think you have to mm -hmm. click that. And then it'll say um, automatically run or manual. And I set it to manual. And that has made my experience using Playgrounds uh, <laughs> a lot more smooth because I have an old computer and like it was yeah. just not, it was not fun to play. No, definitely. I mean, I remember when I, when I first got into Swift and developing an app, I was doing it on, a, on the Air, you know, the, the 2000. I have a MacBook Air that I use. Yeah. 2011. 2011. Oh, wow. And that thing has like, you know, four gigs of RAM or something like that. And it's just not cutting it for, for iOS development. Yeah. So I, I had to upgrade to a, a MacBook Pro. Yeah, I need to get a MacBook Pro. <laughs> for sure. I have an iMac that I use to develop on too. But I really like being mobile and I like the idea of just kind yes. of being able Yes, programming to at a coffee shop because I did that a lot and I still do. So that's a fun thing. So when you are implementing, uh, let's say, a new feature or, um, or a new language feature, like there's a particular 
um, coding problem that you need to solve that you might need to learn a new language feature to solve that problem, how do you go about learning it? So learning specifically a, a language feature? Yeah, or maybe uh, a new framework like something um, in the SDK, oh, gotcha. iOS SDK. How do you go about learning? Are there any particular blogs you like or websites or books? Yeah, there, there's some great resources out there. And I think that that's, that's a testament to the, the iOS community. It's just a very vocal community. It's a very sharing community. Um, there are a lot of different ways that I go basically to learn something new. Um, I use CocoaPods so often in, in the ecosystem, a lot of the frameworks that are out there come with example projects. And that's a, that's for me, that's a, that's such a blessing that I could just open up an example project, run it, see it in action, and then look at the code and see how it works, see how they're using it, see what, what you need to do and in context once again and then i can think about how do how do i put that into my app and where do i put that so you know so that's are, is that for learning a third-party library or are you saying that some third-party libraries use uh you know like swift features for sure and uh maybe some you know native ios sdk like first party frameworks and then you want to learn those frameworks so you find a third-party library that uses the first party code uh -huh. Well, Is that what you're so saying? if if we're talking about like a built-in a built-in framework, then the process is a little bit different. But yeah, I was talking about third-party things oh, okay. that are on GitHub, you know, for example. Right. Do you use a lot of third-party code? Or I try. Libraries? I try to not use it if it's built in. I I don't like to have a lot of dependencies, but I use them when they work really well and they are suitable for what it is that I want to do. Right. Yeah, that's one thing I'm sort of kind of going back and forth on. Uh, I mean, ultimately, if you're an iOS developer, you're using libraries. You're mm -hmm. not creating everything from scratch, mm -hmm. right? You're using UIKit. You're mm -hmm. using the whole iOS SDK. But I feel like there's that's that's first party so it's not very external you can trust for the most part that those libraries aren't going anywhere but when you start talking about real third party um, libraries and frameworks I feel like I want to learn how to do it myself as much as I can rather than learning um, you know relying on a third party but there's that tension between just getting it built and getting it done um, and learning it yourself no, I mean, I think that uh, there's no right or wrong approach when it comes to that. It just depends on what you're, where you're at with your, with your journey developing. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit further along, so right. I kind of understand that uh, it's not just about time, you know, getting something done and, and learning how to do it. There are times when I do that too, but sometimes it's also about just trusting someone to know that that uh, they they have put more time into this than I can, and they just figured this out better. For example, I I decided to use um, a keychain library or an encryption library. I mean, that's something that can I go learn that and figure that out? Absolutely, it would take me some time. I would learn a lot, but at the same time, I trust that they know what they're talking about here. So. It's, it's always a judgment, you see right. what I'm saying? So it's not, it's not like right or wrong, yes or no. Right. But for a lot of the new um, members, a lot of people that come to my meetups, for instance, and they're just starting out, 
uh, anybody who asks me for advice, I always recommend don't worry about learning third-party libraries right now. Learn the, learn the language on Swift, learn Xcode, learn the iOS SDK, focus on all the first-party libraries. Then as you get more experience, if you really need to or it makes sense, um, because maybe time is more important than building it yourself, then you can you know, learn third-party libraries. Um, you know, people use them every day. Uh, you know, all the real popular ones like AF Networking and Alamo Fire and, and all these Swift, um, these JSON parsers, and, and there's so much stuff out there. Um, but I, th I think, you know, you have to learn, especially when you're starting out, I, I don't know if you'd agree, you have mm -hmm. to spend some time actually learning um, how to build things yourself, not just basically dragging and dropping or, you know, Absolutely. kind of just like, you know, building you can get things done though, which is which is cool. You can get things done. You could build a project um, just by dropping in a bunch of different libraries, but you need to know how to maintain that. And uh, if you, absolutely, you know, if you... absolutely. I mean, dive in. You know, it's the same way that in in school they made us implement a stack or implement a, an array list or or some some data structure even though it's already been done, just do it just to learn how it works, what's underneath. And it, it definitely helps build your abilities. So is there anything that you use to keep up to date with Swift? It's a changing language. It's open source. Uh, <laughs> we're at Swift 2.2 now. We're going to be at Swift 3.0, I believe, uh, in June. Uh, so it, it changes fast. How do you keep up to date, uh, if at all? Yeah, I mean, so Apple, if, if this one thing you learn about Apple is that they, um, they tend to kind of force you to stay up to date as you develop. So they, they you know, they mark things as obsolete. And, and for the history of Swift, very often the code from the previous version does not compile or work the new one. So you have to really put work into upgrading it. So basically it's one of those things that, if there's an upgrade, you can't miss it <laughs> with Apple. I found that they, the migration tool has been really pretty easy. Uh, you know, for instance, going from 1.2 to 2, I believe it was, uh, you know, you just open up Xcode, your project is one, in Swift 1.2, and Xcode just says, hey, do you want to upgrade to the latest syntax? And I just say, yeah. And it changes a lot of stuff, and anything it doesn't change, there's a compiler error that's usually pretty helpful. Uh, for me... I, I like to follow lots of different blogs and, uh, you know, kind of news sites that talk about Swift uh, to help me keep up to date on all the changes. Um, are there any in particular that you like to follow? Or? Um, there's, there's, um, it's one that's called Ray, I can't pronounce that name. Ray Wenderlich? Yeah, that one. That one's yeah. really good for, for me to kind of understand some of the new patterns. Definitely. Like the guard statements, for example. Yeah, I love that guard thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Okay, cool. So what was the last thing that you learned? Uh, anything? So maybe it was guard. What was what was the last thing in Swift that you learned? Like a new feature or a new, not necessarily new to the language, but new to you, something new that you learned. Um, like a new it. control flow or new, just anything. Anything in particular? Well, I, I mean, I'll... I'll be honest here, and I'll say at the last talk that we had at the Learn Swift LA, I learned a lot of things from the Arif. Yeah. I mean, the, the asynchronous segues, I, I thought that was a really novel idea. Um, the, the lazy loading variable, I've yeah. never actually used that before. Me neither. 
Um, and then the unwind segues, the, the, the whole exit thing, the exit from a, a storyboard right. view. I've never used that. I've never even figured out how to use that. So I thought those <laughs> were some really powerful things. Yeah, so the unwind is cool. The reason I haven't used it that much is because I didn't think of a way where you could check to see if you actually wanted to unwind first. But um, at the meetup, Yuri, you've showed us a cool way where you could have like an action. And in that action, you can perform the unwind segue. But before you perform the unwind, you check, let's say, you know, check is the user, you know, online. If they are, you know, unwind. If they're not, don't unwind. So, so that was cool. And then, yeah, the async segue, that's something that Yareve created, which mm-hmm. um, is available on his GitHub. Yeah. Uh, and then what was the other thing you mentioned? It was, oh, it was uh, the, the lazy loading. The, yeah, the, the lazy, lazy loading. Bar. Exactly. Yeah. And I've never used that either. And I didn't totally understand it. But now I do. Uh, one, one place I wanted to where I tried using it was when you create a core location manager as soon as you instantiate mm-hmm. the core location manager, it automatically calls, uh, it like checks for its delegate, I believe, and calls some of its delegate methods. And if maybe you don't want it to check, for instance, like has the user um, changed authorization status? Are they letting me use their location or not? Then you can set it as a lazy var. And even though you've already set all its properties and everything, it won't automatically check those delegate methods because uh, it does like if you instantiate the core location manager and set its delegate it will call those delegate methods so that was one cool um like uh, place i saw lazy uh, could be you know could work really well yeah yeah that's definitely really really good application for it so is there anything new that you're planning on learning uh for instance for aroma is there any new features that you're thinking about implementing that you need to learn a new framework or you need to learn a new uh, language feature specifically for like in in swift the language or in general the ios development yeah swift or ios man well let's just say if you're doing a new project there 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 should be new things that you don't know that you need to learn that's part of the excitement so in this in this application aroma i'm going to be using some charts some pie charts and graphs and things of that nature that I've never done. So to me, that's uh, that's something that I, I'm going to have to learn. So. Cool. Do you know what frameworks you're going you're gonna to use? Because I actually was looking at doing an audio visualizer, uh, basically a way mm. to graphically visualize audio. And I was looking at the different um, ways I could, you know, different frameworks I could use to achieve that. I haven't had time to fully dedicate, you know, to, yeah. to studying that, but you know, one of the things I was looking at was core graphics and core animation. Um, so I wonder if you would be using anything like that for creating graphs and charts. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this is the, the kind of like the beauty of developing and, and coding is the fact that there are so many ways to achieve something. There's not like one path or you get to kind of look at the field and, and select, make a decision and do it. So you could you could go ahead and build your own um, pie charting library, or or just uh, you know use the the core graphics to create it yourself, um, or you could go to 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 GitHub and see if there are any ones that have done this thing already and have made some nice APIs like the table view, you know the the, the table view with all all of its nice delegates where you just get to tell it here's how many rows you need, here's what they look like, go right. do it. 
So maybe so. someone on GitHub has already created a cool, um, you know, pie chart and graph, you know, API where you just kind of tell it what you want and it spits it out. Yeah, yeah, certainly, you know. So if but if your intention is to learn how to how to work with core graphics and how to make your own graphics, maybe you want to go into games or something like that, then you know it'd be, it might be better to to learn it on your own. Right. I guess it depends on what stage you're at. Someone yes. like you, you're building your your application, building your business. It's important that you just kind of get it done, um, maybe rather than having sort of like an academic um, experience. But you know, it could it could prove uh, useful to you, um, or you know, you the you in general, the general you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you spend let's say a month learning core graphics, and then you find this job, um, you know job opportunity and they need someone that you know knows everything about core graphics well there you go you just set yourself up for that opportunity definitely i think that so, the the beauty is when you can prove to yourself and to others that if there's a need to learn something new you can learn you see exactly. what i'm saying oh so, totally and that's what i recommend everybody and encourage everybody to to more like understand it's about not about knowing everything but knowing being skilled enough uh, getting to a point where if you need to learn something, you can. Because the best developer does not know everything. But that, that developer, that best developer, knows how to learn. Yes, and so, very key. And, and so, yeah, I, I definitely try to impart that on you know all my members and everybody that asks me if, you know any recommendations. Or So let's learn a little bit about Aroma because you were building Scope Out um, and it sounded like Scope Out transitioned. Uh, and, but n- and now you're focusing on a new project, which you've been working on for a while, a little while, um, called Aroma. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I'm just going to throw this out there. My, my vision, my um, kind of what I would really love to do is to build software from A to Z in the same way that Amazon wanted to sell from A to Z. I would love to make apps starting from A all the way to Z. I think for me, that's just such a, a creative explosion. And I'm starting with A. So it's my first one. And that's, um, that's how all this came together. I see. So you want to be able to build multiple products um, serving different needs, um, just like how Amazon sells everything under the sun. Yes. I mean, I, I want to say that the company that I started makes the best software, that it writes the best code. Awesome. So for me, I, I relate to that. And the reason is maybe two things, um, you know, two main things is I have a bunch of ideas and I want to, you know, pick one of those ideas, execute it and then and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But also I want to work with all these amazing technologies. You know, just look at the iOS SDK. You know, you have... Apple Pay and Touch ID and core location and, and you have graphics, you have the uh, camera, you have motion, you have all sorts of new things coming up. And that's what really excites me about uh, being an iOS developer is being able to take advantage of all these technologies. So I totally relate to that, like yes. wanting to build, um, you know, products from A to Z. The iPhone is, is, is such an amazing creation. I mean, when you look at today's date, It's 2016. Can you believe that it's been almost 10 years since that thing was unleashed? Mm -hmm. And for 10 years, we have been experiencing the magic of the iPhone. Yeah. (laughs) 
I know. Tell, name me something else that, that has that kind of, um, that, that, eat, that it can last that long and, and still be relevant. Yeah, I don't know, maybe has. like the telephone, electricity, it, uh, railroad, and cars and airplanes. In, 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 in a field where things come and go every day where when you know something that was hot last year is not this year this thing has been around for almost 10 years it's so hard to believe that when steve jobs took the stage to announce this thing you know yeah, where, totally. where were you it was like one of those moments totally okay so a to z so let's start with a then aroma that's going to be it's one of the first products you're building for this specific venture that you're you know you're off on because mm-hmm. um, uh, you said you built, uh, you were working on two other Swift apps before, uh, but this is your main Swift app now, Aroma. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What does it do? Why does it exist? Well, Aroma is a way for basically for you to keep in touch with your your software in your pocket, so that you can at any time check your inbox and see. Let's just say, for example, you have an app that's out there and someone new signed up. And you want to know about it, so it you you open up and you just see oh a new user signed up this is their email, just so you can know the reason that that I came across this idea was because while I was doing scope out, and while I've I've just been in the industry I've noticed that it sometimes there are interesting things that happen with your software that um, as a developer, you would want to know, maybe a product owner would want to know, maybe the QA wants to know, or the operations team. So it's a way for the team to keep in touch with their software. That's, that's kind of like the, the gist of it. Right. Is there anything else out there like that? There are some other things. Uh, for example, Splunk is, is kind of this big enterprisey thing. There's something called Logly. Um, there's another one called PagerDuty. But they're all kind of different. They're not quite the same vision that I have for Aroma. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've heard of PagerDuty, not the other ones. Uh, so how would that work then? Let's say you have an app out there in the world uh, and then you're using Aroma, which is also an app. How are, um, let's, call, let's call, let's say I own Instagram, let's say, and I'm mm-hmm. using Aroma to check in on, communicate with, get updates on my my app Instagram. Um, how am I? How are those two connected? Um, does Instagram send data to the same server that Aroma is interacting with? Yeah, so that absolutely great question. By the way, it's about connecting developers to their software. So what? What? How is the connection formed? So when you open up the app and you you have a, a new application that you want to keep in touch with you 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 kind of provision it so there there's a guide that guides you through it asks you what's the name of the application does it have an icon about how many devices does it run on just so we could know and then boom you're off and going it's been created we hand you back a token the token that token is what you use to communicate with our api when you send events or messages with it okay cool Mm -hmm. so isn't there isn't there something that twitter does that's like that too like crashlytics or something else Uh, yes where they give like insights into your applications if they're uh, you know using some of the twitter you know development platform like one of the frameworks like maybe crashlytics i guess crashlytics is just for 
seeing if your app crashed or not, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's things like uh, Fabric. That, that's kind of what they've been rolled under now. And they just released an app. I mean, can you believe it? They've been around for so long and they just released it. <laughs> um, but uh, I use Fabric, actually. So I, I, I use it in Aroma. And Fabric is, is about that. It's about keep in touch with your users and how they're using it in a kind of a high level. So... Okay, awesome. Yeah, we had a Swift Coders meetup with the Twitter dev team um, during their, you know, Hello World tour, and they talked a little bit about Fabric. Uh, so that's cool. You're using it. What's what's been your experience um, using? You're using Swift. Um, you know, you're using Fabric with Swift, right? Or in Swift, they have yes. a Swift API. Cool. What's your experience been like with that? With Fabric, I think that the most useful thing for me with Fabric actually is. Um, just getting beta beta tests out there for people to use because the Apple distribution has been lacking very test, very test flight. Much. You mean? Yes, yes. I mean, they're all they're all so these you're using, limitations. Mm-hmm. So you're using the Twitter development platform in this case, Fabric, to to do beta testing. I didn't know they had that. Yeah, basically, you just add an email of someone you want to send your latest bill to, and you know, you add some release notes for each build and it, it ships it to them. They get to open up their, click the email, open up their browser on their phone and just install the latest version. So it's really, really fluid. You know, I must have been running around doing something when they when they mentioned that because I don't remember. That's cool. So <laughs> I've used TestFlight and my experience has been good, um, but there are some, I saw some issues with it. So you're enjoying using the Twitter development, the what is it called fabric or is there a specific name for that the, the beta testing portion let me see the app it, it, the the service itself is called fabric and i think that the crashalytics is what it was named before okay. or so it's your a component okay so your experience with that's been good versus test flight yes okay cool awesome so tell us about aroma tell us more uh, about using swift to develop that what's your experience been like uh, any hangups? Um, has it been a, has it been easier because you're using Swift? I mean, Swift is such a natural language, and what I mean by that is, there's hardly ever a time when I have to fight with it to get what I want. Um, so my experience with Swift has been very swift <laughs> to say. <laughs> Um, awesome. Mm-hmm. So, are you following the Swift open source at all? Uh, have you, you know, have you just kind of you're following it all? Have you seen sort of what's happening, what's going on? Do you follow that? Do you have time to follow it? Or I follow it uh, every now and then. For example, I heard about the some of the web frameworks. Right. There are a lot of those that are coming out now, and it's kind of like um, it's a boom. There's 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 all these new things that you could do with it, and I, I actually. Before Apple announced it, I remember thinking, man, I wish that they would just make this open so I could write my backend code with it. Right. And lo and behold, they did that. So <laughs> so I don't have experience writing uh, server-side code. I hope to one day. Um, I've worked with, I've made, uh, you know, H- HTTP requests, like, you know, uh, with a REST API and, and all that. But I didn't write the server-side code. And I worked with CloudKit, but that's, you know, I'm just writing client-side code that's interacting with a server that does everything for me. Um, so are you able to talk about 
Swift um, running on the server. Maybe you haven't wrote any server-side code yet, but um, are you excited to, to do that? It sounds like you are. Can, can you talk a little bit about it? Have you looked at any web frameworks or anything like that? Well, I would say that Swift is a language, yes. Um, and whether it's an iPhone or a server or whether it's your microwave, I mean, they're all computers and a language is what you use to give it behavior, to make it do something that it, it in reality, it's not going to be all that different writing Swift code on the iPhone versus on the back end. You won't have yeah. UI kid because you're not doing anything UI related. Right. So from a language perspective, I mean, I think it, it'll still be great. I'm really excited for that, but I'm wondering if Apple is going to create a, a web or, you know, server-side framework. Do you think they would do that? Or it seems like they're just kind of relying on everybody else to do it. I'm, I'm very curious about that as well. I don't really see them... Well, because they, they, they made Swift open source and it's a community now that's an independent organization. Having said that, I think that the open source community will just jump in and create this. It, it reminds me a bit of Java, where when Java came out, you had, you know, you had all, all these open source things come around it and build the ecosystem. You had Maven, you had Spring, you had, you know, you had all of these things. I think that the same thing will happen with Swift, and you're already seeing that happen. Right. So maybe there's no need for Apple to do it because there's already so many other people doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think for Apple, the, the focus should be on the core. Um, but it would be great if they could release something like a UI kit where you can make UIs anywhere, like your, your, your PC or your, you know, your, or your Android, who knows, you know, so, or your Linux, so. An open source UI kit, that would be great. That's something I would love to see from Apple. I was just going to ask you about that. So when I think of something like that, like a UI kit everywhere, I think of using UI kit to, uh, you know, run in a web browser, like a web browser, you know, you can compile your, your code that you write in Xcode, you're using UI kit, and somehow it can compile down to what a web browser would understand, you know, it speaks HTML and CSS and and, you know, HTML5, whatever, JavaScript, all that stuff. Uh, do you think that would ever be possible? Because I love the idea of being able to, you know, not everything needs to be an app, you know, and you can have an app and a website and they work really well together. Mm -hmm. But I would, I love the idea of not having to learn a whole nother, yeah. you know, um, platform and I could just write, I could create a website using Swift. Here's and what I'll say. Is that possible, do you think? Here's what I'll say to that. First of all, I actually hate web development. So I'm with you there. And I hate web development because CSS and just like the laying things out is so just annoying compared to auto layouts, compared to interface builder. That to me is just like the apex of design, putting together a user interface. It's so wonderful. Um, I agree. A lot of people would disagree, though. They don't I, like Interface Builder, but I, I like I it. I understand, but if you're doing something visual, use a visual tool. To me, uh, that's just obvious. That's a good point. 
you know, if, if you're doing it, a lot of developers just don't, they don't, um, they can't think in a visual way, which to me, it's a, it's a bit of a limitation. You have to kind of open your mind to think visually. You're making something visual, you see. Do you remember iWeb? iWeb. No, it was, I, I, it was a part of the iWork, I believe, or iLife. I think iWork Suite, you know, maybe back in 2009. And it was an application just like GarageBand or hmm. um, iPhoto. And you could build a website, <laughs> you know, using really? iWeb. Wow. And uh, Apple stopped building it. They oh, shut it down. Um, I don't know how they did that, like how mm. iWeb compiled to, you know, down to maybe mm. whatever a web browser would understand. But I get very excited. I don't know if I should be very hopeful, but I get excited about the idea of using Xcode, Swift, the um, existing SDKs, maybe a new SDK to create a website. To, that me, would be a companion to my applications. To answer your question, it is absolutely possible. And I say that for a number of reasons. The first... Google actually did this some time ago with the Google Web Toolkit where you wrote some Java code and you got to make a website, a web application with it. In fact, they, the next sort of hot thing, um, it's not that big yet, but Dart. Dart allows you to write code that is very syntactically similar to Swift and build a web application with it. Um, and conversely, there's actually react native on the website on the web side of things which facebook released which allows you to write web applications in in traditional javascript and and so on and they compile down to native ios and android code so there's both ways it's all out there so it's definitely possible but then given the open source community, I wonder if it's something Apple even needs to build. Maybe, you know, some, someone in the open source community is already working on it. I mean, we have all these web frameworks, but no one's created a, I don't know what that would be, like a, a framework that yeah, basically converts your Swift UI kit type of code into something a web browser understands. I, I don't know. I think that the, 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 the challenge or the... The thing to watch for is Xcode because to you to make an iOS app, you have to go through Xcode. Xcode is the choice. There is no right. nothing. I mean, else. there's other IDEs, but like Xcode is the main. It's the thing, right? Yeah. So, are we going to have something for Swift that's the IDE for Swift that you can do something like this? I'm I'm not sure if you can use any old Swift code with Xcode because I haven't tried it, but that's something to wait, watch Wait, what do you mean? Oh, wait, what do you mean? Because, like, you use Swift and Xcode right now, but what do you mean exactly? Like an open source, let's say you're doing a, a web app in Swift, you know, how is there an ID that you can use to write that or compile it? Hmm. I so know there's the Swift package manager, so, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you could still use CocoaPods and all that stuff. I, I don't know, am I misunderstanding you? No, yeah, maybe, but um, that's, um, again, it's the whole ecosystem that needs to, it's being fleshed out right now that maybe those answers will come. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, you know, if I need to, I'll learn web development one day, but I like the idea of not having to. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, Definitely. okay, we're uh, fast approaching the end of this uh, podcast episode um where does aroma stand when can we um you know when can i get a beta invite uh when can we see it on the app store 
So um, I'm going to be done with an initial version in about two weeks. So after that, if you've ever done an app release, you know it takes Apple a good three weeks just to come around to your, to your app because the queue is sometimes really that long. So I'm thinking in about a month, it'll be publicly accessible and you'll be able to send messages from your backend code and your own iOS apps as well. Okay, so it's Friday, March 4th. I don't know when this episode will air. <laughs> so let's say a month from now. So in um, in April, you're um, my birthday. All right. You're going to get me a beta invite for my birthday. <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. Um, right, if you, cool. If you want to reach out to me, um, just send me an email to juan at redroma.tech. Cool. And I'll leave a link in the show notes. And then is there any other place people can contact you online? Yeah, definitely. Um, GitHub. I mean, my GitHub is Sir Wellington, so you can catch me there or LinkedIn. Just search for my name. Cool. All right. So before we end, I want to ask you one question, and that is one piece of advice for people learning Swift. I think that um, you have to be patient with your journey learning it. You're not going to get everything right away. And my advice is to start small. Don't try and build a whole app right away from day one. Learn one part of it at a time. For example, if you're learning how to do um, storyboards, just spend the day just putting things on there, working with auto layouts. Don't even write code. Conversely, if you're learning how to program something like a table view, just put a simple table together with some fake data on it. Just take it a step at a time. And gradually, as you build your understanding, you build your capabilities. So that would be my advice. Sound advice. I wholeheartedly agree. Juan Moreno, thank you so much for coming on the Swift Coders podcast and sharing your story with us and yeah, giving us all your uh, advice and the experience Absolutely. that you've had, uh, you know, becoming, uh, you know, starting as a programmer in college, uh, working for IBM, and then working for the Defense uh, Department, I believe it was in Maryland, and then uh, going to Amazon. And we're so glad you came to Los Angeles. Uh, and you know, now you're building your own business with Aroma. Thank you so much for sharing that story and uh, talking about your experience with Swift. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time... Go swiftly, my friends.